This is the Canty and Carlin Podcast. I've thought about it. The more you really are a perfect fit for Love Connection. I am. It would be amazing. I- I'm in a season of romance. Just yeah. got married a year ago. Already planned and booked the anniversary trip. Mm-hmm. I got it all going for me now, big fella. Yeah and, and, yeah, and you understand you are relatively close to all the different stages of love. Yeah. Having gone through it. I mean, you and Mel went met how long ago? Five years. Yeah. The five last years. five years of your life, you were perfect for that. Plus, I can talk about dating yes. in different parts of the country and, you know, the different phases that men and women go through. And you do, you before have. eventually landing into marriage. Like, all of these different things. I got but, it. But, like, when I see you dress up for the mornings when you go on Get Up, like, you have a swag about you that you want to have for that show. Oh, like, I'll, be, I'll be well-dressed, well-groomed. Yeah. There's no question about it. No, no, I mean, no, no, I mean, listen. It's not just a well-dressed, well-groomed. It's how it all ties into your attitude. Oh, well, you have to work. coordinate. Exactly. You have to coordinate, and Love Connection just fits my brand. I, I, it re- you know what? I couldn't have put it anywhere. Exactly. Back. Love Connection fits your brand. It's Canty and Carlin <laughs> on ESPN Radio and on the ESPN app presented by Progressive Insurance. Yes. Hey, we're here. During our normal show, and that is good, because we're here for a day where there is nothing going on. There is a hell of a lot going on, and dear God, (laughs) we have so much to get to, and we're going to start in the NFL in very short order. In the next 10 minutes, we are going to get to one of the big names in the league that surprisingly all of a sudden could be on the move in the NBA, but let's start with the drama in Buffalo and Stefan Diggs, who today did show up at OTAs, or rather mandatory minicamp, and was working out with the team. Yesterday, he had shown up and then went home and left. There had been all kinds of uh, quotes about what his particular situation was and how it was an internal situation. Just to get you caught up, here is Josh Allen yesterday on this topic. Oh, I know internally we're, we're working on some things, um, not football-related, but, you know, Steph, he's my guy. Excuse my love him he's, he's a brother of mine you know this does not work what we're doing here without him you know we, we, we wish he was in here today and was out there on the field with us and that's that's not the case but i've got his back no matter what it's, it's funny i think canty of the end of last season when he kind of stormed off when the last game was over for the bills and really wasn't heard from thereafter remember he didn't talk to the media mm-hmm. and you would have thought at some point this offseason some of this would have gotten ironed out mm-hmm. whatever the problem is doesn't feel like it has no it hadn't gotten ironed out and people are asking the question of why did he wait so long before he brought it to the bills front door and i think he did it for effect i think he did it to create urgency in terms of the timing you saw the reaction from sean mcdermott he was concerned that stefan Diggs was not on the field for the first practice during minicamp now, he's there, and he was in the, the area, according to his agent, agent Adisi Bakara, but, but here's the deal. When you look at the situation with Stephon Diggs, it's hard to ignore the production that he had in the first half of the season versus what we saw in the second half of last year. First nine games for the Buffalo Bills, Stephon Diggs, he averaged 110 receiving yards per game, had was it, four, four games where he went north of 100 yards receiving. In the last second half of the season, he averaged 63 yards per game and only had one 100-yard receiving game. Big fella, that's a problem. When you start seeing these swings, this this wide degree of variance when it comes to how he's being utilized in the offense, 
and then you couple that on top of the fact that the quarterback had issues giving the ball to the other team and that they came up small in a home playoff game against the Cincinnati Bengals, I get why Stephon Diggs is frustrated. Now, they reworked the contract. This is not an issue about his contract, but I do think it's an issue about money. It's an issue about money because Stephon Diggs is going into his age 30 season and he sees what's happening to DeAndre Hopkins. Yeah, He sees that the marketplace isn't as robust as a receiver of his ilk should have it be based on his resume. But that's how the NFL is. And then you couple that with the fact that there were growing pains with breaking in a new offensive coordinator in Ken Dorsey. There was frustration at the end of the season, not only how the season ended, but how Stephon Diggs was being used at the end of the season and going into the postseason. Stephon Diggs is concerned about his role in the offense and how that is going to impact his future career earnings. Make no mistake about it. I remember working with Chris Carter a long, long time ago at another network, and he said receivers are worried about two things, me and my money. There is no question about it that Diggs is a top competitor and he wants to win at the highest level, but don't think for a second that money isn't a part of this conversation too because every NFL player knows when you're making a lot of money, top of the market money for your position and your production does not equate to that kind of compensation – that's when the teams look to cut you. That's when the teams look to trade you, move on from you, whatever the case may be. Stephon Diggs understands that. He's reading the tea leaves. He's reading between the lines and is trying to preemptively do something to change that. So I don't have an issue with what Diggs is doing, nor the timing that he's doing it in, because we still got a hell of a lot of time before the season gets started, which means there's a lot of time to get this thing worked out. Look, for me, with Diggs, I have no issue with this whatsoever. Look around. Look what happened last year. Look at your quarterback who, with all the turnovers, is forcing it into spots that he just shouldn't be forcing it into. Look at... Hold on. Can I, can I, can I stop you right there? Mm-hmm. You said all the turnovers. I just want to paint the picture for our audience. Yeah. 23 turnovers yeah. last year for Josh Allen, including the playoff games. 23 turnovers, guys. Six lost fumbles. Think about that. Six lost fumbles, 17 interceptions. That ain't good enough. No. That's not. No, it's not. Not for a quarterback getting paid what he's getting paid. Not for a guy that's on the cover of Madden. And that's what Stephon Diggs is saying. And that's why he was so demonstrative at the end of that playoff game against Cincinnati. The guy only had four catches for 35 yards in that game. First of all, that's just malpractice. It's malpractice. Because he's your best offensive player at that point. And you're not getting him the football. You're not winning when that is the production that you are getting from Stefan Diggs. And it's it's not his fault. He's still playing at an elite level. And I keep coming back to the Hopkins thing. Because he is coming up on age 30. And because he is still better than 95% of the receivers in the league. Is that fair? That's fair. I, that's, that's I will take Stefan Diggs tomorrow, and I will run into war with him. I will be more than happy because I know he's a dog, and I know how badly he wants it. And yes, receivers count, care about their money. But in this league, when nothing is guaranteed, when DeAndre Hopkins, who was universally regarded not 18 months ago as the best receiver in football, is now struggling to get a job... I mean, you don't screw around with that. 
And if I'm Stefan Diggs, if this is not about a contract, but just about getting some more money out of it, the Bills got to do something here, okay? And it's not like your usual situation of somebody who is unhappy. Mm. You are trying to win right freaking now. Yeah. Your window is so small, and you're going to let this hijack your season when you got a big enough problem with the quarterback, the guy that you did invest all of that money in, making crucial, crucial mistakes, especially in the red zone. Yep. You need everybody on the same page. And if that means that you give in to Stephon Diggs right now, do it. It's not a new five-year, $100 million contract that we're talking about. It's talking about doing something to show this guy that you care about him and you need to make him happy. And like Josh Allen himself said, none of this works without him. None of it. I I don't understand what the issue is in giving him more guarantees in his contract. You're not asking... You're not asking for a higher average annual value. If you're Stephon Diggs right now, since they reworked your contract last year, what you would want is more guarantees in the future. Keep in mind, this is a Buffalo Bills franchise that just drafted another pass catcher in the first round in Dalton Kincaid, the tight end out of Utah. You don't think Stephon Diggs sees that? He absolutely does. In an instance where he wants the ball more, you're talking about the ball being spread out to other players in that skill position court. Now, I don't necessarily look at that as a bad thing, for the Bills' offense as a whole and their overall philosophy. But this is a guy that's coming off of his fifth straight 1,000-yard receiving season. Big fella, that kind of consistency, that kind of playmaking ability at that position, you you, got to make sure you do whatever you can to keep this guy happy. And the fact that this is the first time and, and Sean McDermott was so caught off guard by what had taken place over the last 48 hours is a problem in and of itself. This is one of those dudes where you need to have communication with his representation throughout the offseason, even though there is no contract to be discussed. Based on how things ended and based on what's going on now, there clearly was an issue. As an organization, you can't let one of your core players have that kind of frustration throughout the entirety of the offseason. you got to make sure you're in lockstep with this dude, just like you make sure you're keeping in touch with Josh Allen and you're keeping in touch with Von Miller and you're keeping in touch with your two all-pro safeties. That matters when you're trying to compete for a championship. Forget about just the X's and O's. A part of the job description when it comes to the coach is the soft skills, the human element. As Tom Coughlin would say, coaching is making men do what they don't want to do so they can become what they want to become. If Stephon Diggs doesn't like his freaking role, then you talk to him and you show him why this role benefits the whole in terms of the team winning at the highest level. The other thing you got to do is make sure there's accountability throughout your locker room, and that includes your quarterback. Yes, your quarterback, who is the guy that got all of that money, has to be held accountable for the turnovers. And Chris, one last thing I'd say about it is this. If it's not all ironed out and this team does not get off to a good start, that could get ugly. Yeah. That could get ugly in Buffalo. Yeah. And I I can I can tell you one thing. Feeling pretty good about my my, my division pick for the AFC East. Yeah. I, I, I'll tell you one thing. You know, one guy that I don't think is gonna stomach uh a bad season in Buffalo and will be rumbling around the trade deadline, Vaughn Miller. Mm. Keep an eye on that one.
It's Canty and Carlin, presented by Progressive Insurance. Looking for a career path with flexibility, great pay, and benefits? Go to Progressive.com slash careers. Apply online today. Before we put a pin in this conversation, let me just say this. Stephon Diggs, over the last five years, is fourth in receiving yards. Care to take a stab at three guys in front of him? Fourth in receiving yards over the last five years. Yeah. I would put Justin Jefferson in front of him. Has he been no. there long enough? No. no, he hasn't been there long enough. No. Uh, DeAndre Hopkins. No. Uh, oh, boy. Let's see. I'm just drawing. Who's been the right best? Now. Who was, like, a couple years ago, you would say, was in the conversation, best receiver in the league? Play with a Hall, future Hall of Famer quarterback. Um. But I'm thinking last five years, so the guys that are just coming to my mind right now okay, so are, I'm just, are, I'm haven't just, been around that I'm long. just going to go ahead and give it to you. No, hang on. Let me take one more shot. Okay. Um, Tyreek Hill has yep. got to be on that there list. There you go. He was oh, number two. He's of, number two. Of course. Devontae Adams has got to be on that one. list. And A.J. Brown on that list? No, it's not even a wide receiver. Who is it? Travis Kelsey. Of course. There you go. Those, those are the three. Those, those are the are, only three in front of Stephon. Those are the Diggs. only three guys from a production standpoint in front of Steph Diggs. So wow. you you get my point. Yes, you get my point. I do. Eight 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 say ESPN eight 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 seven two nine three seven seven six. And just out of nowhere this morning, we got a little windy bomb. Actually, that doesn't sound great. But Brian Windhorst. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, my God. Did that just happen? Yeah, apparently so. Wow. Uh, Brian Windhorst on Get Up This Morning, actually on Keyshawn, J. Will, and Max, uh, brought up a particular team that might be looking to move up in the draft. And that particular team is the New Orleans Pelicans. There's been some feel out there that the Pelicans want to move up in this draft. They have the 14th pick right now, and that they may want to move up in this draft. And I, I think it would be premature to say that they've made any offers of players. I don't want to go that far. But obviously, you don't have to be a next-level genius to realize that if they want to move way up in the draft, you're looking at potentially making Zion Williamson available. That would be a fascinating decision. Mm. But if the Pelicans are serious about moving up, I think it must be something that they're considering. Chris, I don't hate it, and here's why. If you are going to move up and have the chance to get Scoot Henderson or Brandon Miller, uh, Miller especially, I I happen to like. Uh, If you are going to move up and try to get Brandon Miller, you're going to move up and you're going to try to get Scoot Henderson. Mm. I don't hate this at all. I, I really don't. I love Zion. I love his talent. I'm tired of talking about him on the sideline. I'm tired of talking about him being out of shape. This is this is not one or two years now, Chris. I mean, this was the 2019 draft. This is four years ago now with Zion Williamson. Mm-hmm. And he has not played anywhere near the amount of basketball that you need him to play. And he has already gotten a max extension. And it's absolutely absurd. The Pelicans have Brandon Ingram. They have C.J. McCollum, or P.J. McCollum, and they have a chance to win right now. If you add one of those two young guards to that mix, at least I can count on him being out there, and I really think Miller's got a chance to be extra special. I can't sit here and tell you that I've seen Scoot Henderson play a whole lot. I've seen Miller play a lot. I called two of his games this past year on ESPN Radio. This guy 
all the other stuff aside, which, you know, these teams seem to be comfortable with what happened, this guy is going to be a great player in the league. Let me just start by saying this. They got a GM, David Griffin, who knows what the hell he's doing. He knows how to build championship teams. And for him to go down this road and explore moving up and have that kind of conviction on one of these guys at the top of the draft not named Webinyama, then you have to trust him. And for a guy in Zion that has a ton of potential right now, that's all it is. And as I've said in the past, potential just means you haven't done it yet. Potential gets people fired. And that's where the New Orleans Pelicans are at right now. He's missed over 200 games in the first four years of his career. So if the best indicator for future performance is past performance, then how can you bet on Zion staying healthy for the foreseeable future? You just can't. And as players get older, they don't get healthier. Nope. So I, I, I get how people can point to certain guys that have had injury-riddled seasons early on in their careers, like Joel Embiid, and found a way to be able to work itself out of it. But that that's contingent on a couple of things. First of all, the player has to have a commitment and be motivated to, to give himself the best possible chance to stay healthy. But then you also have to factor in whether or not this is a guy that that from a character standpoint – resembles what you want your team's morals and values to be about. And I don't know that you can set, you can check either box when it comes to Zion. He's fantastic when he's on the court. He really is. But it's not often enough. And that's why I don't think it's wild to entertain the possibility of moving off of this too. We are going to spend a lot more time on this today. Chris, just plant this seed. And you don't even have to answer it this second, but just plant this seed. Depending on who they want, if they were comfortable just moving into the top three, is Zion Williamson enough to make Dame Lillard happy? It's an interesting question that we're going to delve into a little bit further throughout the course of the day. It's Canty and Carlin on ESPN Radio and on Sirius XM Channel 80. In just moments, if you thought Dan Orlovsky has had his worst football take ever, guess again. Hold his beer. It's on the way. He joins us next. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code FIRSTTAKE and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more, more than, than ever. ever. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to gamble responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. This U.S. promotional offer not available in D.C., Mississippi, North Carolina, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369 for New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. For Massachusetts, 1-800-327-5050. For Iowa, 1-800-BETS-OFF. For Puerto Rico, 1-800-981-0023. For West Virginia, Visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net. First bet offer for new customers only. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. In partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. Right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Go to jetspizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jets' signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. 
That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Jets Pizza, better because it has to be. We all know breakfast is an important part of your day, but sometimes when you're traveling for business, you end up staying at a hotel that doesn't offer any. You know what happens? You grab a cup of coffee and skip the meal entirely. We've all been there. But if you book a room at La Quinta by Wyndham, you can enjoy their free bright side breakfast featuring delicious baked goods, fruit, eggs, yogurt, and waffles. And really, who doesn't want to start their day with a fresh, hot waffle? Tonight, La Quinta, tomorrow you shine. Book direct at LQ.com. This is the Canty and Carlin Podcast. What's universally regarded as the worst trade in NFL history? Oh, that's easy. It's the Herschel Walker trade. Yep. It's not even a question. It ended up being 18 players they got all together after all the picks. Something like five first-round picks? It was three. uh, I'll tell you exactly what it was right now. It was three first-round picks. They got four players. Jesse Solomon, David Howard, Isaac Holt, Alex Stewart. They got Minnesota's first in 1990. They got their first in 91. They got their first in 92. They got their second in each of those three years. They got their third in 92. So they, 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 their they, second in each of those three years. Yeah, they got the first they, and they second for six, three consecutive years. Six premium picks. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And a third. And, oh, and, that's and I mean, you know, and we all know what those players turned into. It ended up being, you know, Emmett Smith and they turned around and made other trades. They ended up getting Russell Merrill. Yep. They ended up getting Darren Woodson. I mean, th- basically the, the core. It the built core. the dynasty. Yes. That, uh, listen. That's why Jimmy Johnson called it the Great Train Robbery. We did a thirty for thirty on it. Yes, and it, it, it is that is that that is not only the worst trade in NFL history. If you're on the Minnesota Vikings side, I guess if you're on the Cowboys side, it's the best trade. But it might be the worst trade in all of professional in professional sports, sports history. Yeah. yeah, Babe Ruth, maybe. That's about it. Yeah, money to fund a, a Broadway show. That was that. That's it. That like that if it's if it's not Herschel Walker, then it's that. And other than that, please find another one. That's I mean, even worse. Because there are a lot of bad ones, but this this is up there. I mean and the so, ones the ones that come to mind though, I mean the Ricky Williams trade was a pretty bad trade. That was a pretty bad trade. I mean, you gave away your whole draft and the guy only played three seasons for you. Yep. That wasn't great. Yep. The RG three trade yep. wasn't a great trade nope. for Washington. Nope. You gave away three first round draft picks. How many full seasons did RG three play? In yeah. Washington, I mean, you know, exactly. Did he play? I don't think he did play a full season. In Washington. Nope. Uh, anyway, he played. I think he, he was close. He had his second year. He had a good year. He had a good year. I know because I had him for fantasy football, and then I traded him away. But then, uh, Canty. I mean, you know, Nolan Ryan for Jim Fergosi. You can go to plenty of them. Uh, Tom Seaver. There are plenty of bad trades over the years. Mm-hmm. Our guy Dan Orlovsky <sighs> this morning said that if Denver does not win a Super Bowl with Russell Wilson, it will go down as the worst trade in NFL history. Mm. Now, let's let's dissect this for a second. First of all, if Denver does not win a Super Bowl with Russell Wilson right now, it will surprise no one. No. Secondly, Russell Wilson and in this trade, we understood what Denver was trying to do, but it absolutely crush their organization to give away those picks as it was, but at least you were expecting Wilson to be serviceable. I would expect Wilson to be better and to be serviceable, which is not going to make it the worst trade in NFL history. Yeah. I mean, the fact that it's two first-rounders and not three just shows you where the Denver Broncos thought 
Russell Wilson was in his career. Think about it. The going rate in trading a franchise quarterback now is three first-round draft picks. I mean, that's what it cost the San Francisco 49ers to move up to take Trey Lance. That's what it ended up costing the Cleveland Browns in order to trade for Deshaun Watson amid all of the legal issues that he had. Three first-round picks is really what you're giving up in terms of a guy that's a true franchise quarterback and has the potential to play at an MVP level. That is not Russell Wilson. No. So the Broncos went into this eyes wide open. They have the defense. They had the skill position players. The only thing that had eluded the franchise and what the Denver Broncos can't seemingly develop is a quarterback. So we're going to outsource it, just like they did once upon a time in 2013 when they went and got Peyton Manning. Two years later, they won a Super Bowl. So, I mean, I I think this is a situation where the Broncos said, hey, we're going to trade for him, we're going to give him the cash that he's looking for, and hopefully somewhere over the next three to four years, we can compete at a championship level. Trading for Russell Wilson bought you a ticket to the dance. Doesn't mean you're going to go home with the homecoming queen. And I think that's where this Broncos ownership group is right now. That's where this franchise is. And Sean Payton is just another instrument that they're going to utilize in order to try to get the best version of Russell Wilson. Will that happen? Who knows? But I don't think it's the worst trade in NFL history. You think it's a ton of pressure on Russell Wilson this year? I, I don't, and here's why. I don't think people are expecting a whole lot. I think people look at Russell Wilson, they realize what happened in the end in Seattle, and realize that now... Yeah, they might have gotten hoodwinked, but I don't think they're expecting a ton from him. You know what? This is the rare instance. First of all, I'm going to agree with you. That makes it rare in and of itself. But (laughs) secondly, in sports, every now and again, you'll have situations where there's not as much outside pressure or external pressure as there is internal pressure. Mm. And let me tell you, as somebody that was on a team where Sean Payton was on the coaching staff, he's going to turn up the damn heat on Russell Wilson. Russell Wilson is not going to be undisciplined and play off-schedule, off-script, backyard football, the things that we've come to know Russ for, let Russ cook, that's going to go away. Sean Payton is the cook for that offense. And if Russell Wilson can't play within the structure of what Sean Payton is trying to do, then the Broncos will be moving on from Russell Wilson sooner rather than later. Salary cap implications be damned. Because beyond just trying to have really good quarterback play, You know what you need in order to win a championship? A good culture. And it's hard to establish that when the quarterback and the highest paid player on the team won't do what the damn head coach is telling them to do. At some point, we can't keep pointing at coaches. We got to point at Russ. We pointed at coaches in Seattle with Pete Carroll. Oh, why are they running the ball so much? We need to let Russ cook. Okay, last year we pointed at Nathaniel Hackett. Oh, this guy doesn't know what the hell he's doing. He's out over his skis. Well, now we're talking about his third coach in as many years. We need to start pointing the finger at Russell Wilson. Maybe it's not all of these other coaches. Maybe this is on this dude. Yeah, it is on this dude. And frankly, if he has a good year for the Broncos, uh, I will be surprised. I, I think that Sean Payton's got a chance to make him better. He, uh, he's never going to get back to Russell four years ago. Will it surprise you if they win the division? Yes. Will it surprise oh, you I'll if be, they come? I'll be shocked if they did. If they came in second in the AFC West, would you be surprised? Uh, slightly. Slightly surprised. Slightly. And I, I shouldn't wow, even, that I shouldn't even say gap, that. That shows you the gap between the Chiefs and everybody else. No, it shows you just how bad of a coach Brandon Staley is. Ooh. That, that's why it's only slightly. <laughs> oh, that, that's what it is. But frankly... It would be more if they had a serviceable coach with the Chargers. And then I would be 
more surprised. But right now, no, no. So at best, they're the third best team in that division. I think that's what you're looking at. Based on what they're paying the head coach and the quarterback, that ain't good enough. That ain't good enough. I think the head coach that is looking at enough. this, and I and wisely so. You guys screwed this up before I got here. This is not my problem. I'm going to try to fix it for you. But if it doesn't work out, I know who the last man standing is going to be. be the, he'll be the most expensive bench warmer in 2024. Yeah, and <laughs> I know who the last man standing is going to be, and it's not going to be him. Oh, it's not. No question. Canty Carlin, ESPN Radio, and on the ESPN app, presented by Progressive Insurance, Sirius XM Channel 80 as well. Oh, big night in Vegas last night. Yes, we can. The Las Vegas Golden Knights are champions. They win the Stanley Cup. What's the best pro town to win a title in? Canty tells you next on ESPN Radio. Canty and Carlin, the podcast. Birdman Martinez scores! Alex Martinez, 3-1 Golden Knights. Stone intercepts. This time he sends it down in a waffle and go into the goal. It's a hat trick in the clincher. Mark Stone, the captain, makes it 8-3 Golden Knights. The Vegas Golden Knights win the Stanley Cup in 2023. The first Stanley Cup championship in Golden Knights history. Courtesy of Fox Sports out in Vegas. Hey, congratulations to the Golden Knights. Let, let's, let, you know, in, in Golden Knights history, it's five years. Let's not get crazy yeah. with being the first one in five years. But it was also their second Stanley Cup appearance. Remember, people forget that they made their first uh, appearance in the finals. Like, what, in their first year? Yeah. So, it, it, great. Great story for them. And, and I people mean, have been crazy about the Golden Knights oh, out yeah. in Vegas. I was out like, there during that deal. first run. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. They were beyond into it. Yeah. And that's great. Like, Vegas, I, I'm glad that we are, you know, one of the positive offshoots of all the gambling stuff is that Vegas, which has always been a pretty good sports town, which has had more people move to it lately, is getting some of these teams. I actually like that a lot. But um, do you is Vegas the best place you could win a title? I got to imagine that there are a lot of perks that come along with winning a title in Las Vegas. <laughs> God, imagine. I mean, it's an adult playground many, out there. I gotta places, imagine it's a fun town to win a title. How many places are you comped? Exactly. You're For comped a, everywhere. Yeah. You're comped everywhere. <laughs> I mean, think about it. Vegas is, 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 is a live entertainment capital of the world. And, and it's just, it's one of those places. If you win a championship, knowing how passionate people are about sports out there, you're going to be treated like royalty. So, yeah, absolutely. It's a great town to win a title in. But let's not go overboard. It's not better than New York. Okay. Win- so- winning a title in New York, going through the canyon of heroes and getting the key to the city and having three million people out there on the street celebrating you, not paying for dinner at any of the Michelin star restaurants in town. Like, it just, it, winning in New York takes it to a different level. All right. So let's talk about this for a second. Yeah. How long did the party last? Oh, it lasted an entire calendar year. Yeah. All you have to do is look at our record from the Giants in 2012. We won the Super Bowl in the 2011 season. Right. We were 500 in 2012. <laughs> we so still, it still we carried still into the next year. from the parties. Yeah. So, so it still I mean, carried yeah, into it the next awesome. year. No, I mean, when we won the Super Bowl, we had the parade. Jay-Z had a concert at Carnegie Hall. We all had box seats. Like, it was just, it was unbelievable. It was incredible. Like, just... The parties that you're, you're first you of have all access to it's just it's 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 unlike anything I've ever experienced in my life. The initial party, 
like the right after until the week or whatever it was. How long did that initial part of the party last? Well, the initial party was in Indy at our team hotel right after the game. That wasn't. No, like but I mean, that started it. Yes, yeah. it's friends and family. But how long was it until you got any sleep? Um, it actually was about five days because I have sur- I had surgery the week after we won the Super Bowl. Oh, wow. So that surgery sleep was pretty good. <laughs> surgery sleep was But once I bounced back, though, the parties were still going. Yeah. So I still had a chance to get in on the fun. Like, it was, it was an ongoing thing. And then once you get past the initial wave, then you have more parties because they give you the ring. So people invite you to parties because they want to see the new ring. Yep. Let me see the ring. Hey, come to this party. Come to that party. Make sure you bring the ring. We want to see the ring. So there's a whole nother wave of parties later that summer because people just want to see the damn ring. I have to imagine Chicago's a pretty good town to win a title. Chicago's in. a great sports town. Yeah. Great sports town. Great Boston, food, yeah. Boston would be a good town to win a title in. I'm just tired although of seeing them gotten, win titles. Although they've gotten kind of spoiled. They have gotten I, I don't spoiled. know. I, I think the luster is kind of worn off on winning titles up there. I agree. Yeah. Uh, Philadelphia. you got to imagine Philadelphia. You win a title in that city. Ho! Especially the Eagles in 2017. Especially an Eagles Super Bowl. Yeah. That would that supersedes everything. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Now, which, as we look around sports right now, which, you know, the Vegas is kind of an upstart situation. No, no literally said. an upstart situation. Yeah. They started playing hockey five years ago. Five years ago. Where's the upstart situation next that could win a championship? Oh, it's the Tampa Bay Rays for me. I mean, think about it. 2018 is really when they started this run with Kevin Cash. Prior to 2018, they had four consecutive years where they had losing records and were out of the postseason. And then since 2018, you're talking about this team being in the postseason pretty much every year with a World Series appearance in 2020. So when you ask me the team that can break through, the upstart group, it's these Tampa Bay Rays led by Shane McClanahan and Wander Franco. Yeah. These dudes. I get it. Randy Rosarena. I mean, they've, they've got guys. Yadi Diaz. Like, they've got really, really good baseball players. Not guys that are making a whole lot of money because that's not how they get down in Tampa. But to me, that would be the team you point to. I would look at the Pelicans. Like, the Pelicans, to me, Brandon Ingram's really become a terrific player. Um, I, I love C.J. McCollum, even though I call him P.J. to his face. And at the same time, if they do move Zion and they end up getting into the top three, that's that's an upstart franchise that is not that old that I could see winning a championship. I like it. I could see I like them it. winning a championship. Speaking of championships, exactly how long do they carry you? Not as far as you think. We explain next. Thanks for listening to the Canty and Carlin podcast. You can listen to the show live weekdays from 3 to 7 Eastern on ESPN Radio. Plus, you can listen on the ESPN app. Canty and Carlin, the podcast.